something pretty remarkable happened. And we'll get to that in a second. So this is the east shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, the last time we were there was in Mark chapter 5. And as Scott alluded to at the beginning of our worship set, Mark chapter 5 is when the disciples and Jesus, they get in the boat and Jesus said, hey, let's go over to the other side. And I want you to just think of that as a, as a proper noun. When you read it in Scripture, it doesn't show up that way. But the other side, when they go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, when they go to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, they're going someplace that good Jews did not go. This was an area, this was the, the, the they call it the Decapolis sometimes in Scripture. All right, this was the area that was the, the seat of the Roman government for the... The, the, the Levant area, the, the Palestine, Palestine, Israel area. This is where the Roman government was headquartered. And of course, if you're a Jew, you remember that less than 200 years ago, the Roman government came in and overthrew your own ability to rule yourselves. And now you're paying tribute to these pagans that worship these false gods and you send money to them all the time. And this is where they're headquartered. Right? So that's part of the issue going on over here. Uh, another part of the issue is that these are not people that follow the one true God. Remember when Jesus went over there the first time, in addition to the naked guy running around in the tombs, who else was over there? Remember where the, the de- Jesus sent the demons? Into a herd of swine, right? Unclean. Remember the, the whole discussion a couple of weeks ago about clean and unclean? Swine were unclean to a Jew. And they go over there, and of course, they, they're herding pigs over here. Of course they are. This is the other side. This is what people do on the other side. They're unclean, right? And, and so is there, and if you remember, I'm going to we'll back up to this just briefly, but if you remember, as they were going across, and Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They get in the boat, and there's a storm, right? This is when a storm blows up. And this is the storm when Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat. And the disciples are going crazy because, and these are experienced watermen, right? They're fishermen. They know when things are rough out on the water. And Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And they're going, you know, Lord, don't you? And of course, but they're not surprised, right? That there's a storm because where are they going? They're going somewhere they're not supposed to be, right? The storm, God's saying, nope, nope, you're not supposed to go that way. Turn around. And so they wake Jesus up and he says, uh, peace, be still. All of a sudden it's dead calm. And the disciples are looking at each other like, what just happened? And they keep going, right? So you can use that as a sidebar. Hang on to that for later. But they had to go through the storm to follow God's will. Just save that for later. So they get over there, and here's this naked guy running around in the tombs. Nobody's surprised. We're on the other side, right? This is what people do over here. For all we know, they're all like this because we're on the other side. We don't go over here. This is not where good Jews go. And and then Jesus has this remarkable experience where he does cast those demons out. They go into the herd of swine. The swine all rush down into the sea and drown. And the, the, the swine herders go back to the village. And the next thing you know, there's everybody coming out to see what just happened. And Jesus is sitting down with tomb guy and they're having a meal and he's got clothes on and he's in his right mind. And everybody is, is notably shocked by this. And then what I think is the most remarkable aspect of that whole story, like the, the, the people that, that live over here on the other side, like when this happens, when they, they come up, they're scared. Right? Because they recognize not only, so Jesus came from the other side as far as they're concerned, right? 
And he has power, obviously, to cast out these demons. You're a threat, right? Jesus is a threat to them. And so what do they do? They ask him to leave, right? Jesus, you need, you need to go. You need to leave. And what's Jesus do? He leaves. He says, okay, come on, let's go, guys. Like, really? Like, you're not going to preach a sermon? You're not going to call down lightning and thunder? No, he says, okay, we'll go. And they get in the boat. And as they're going, the tomb guy, right, he's like, uh, hey, wait just a minute. Because <laughs> I'm an outcast over here. Like, none of these people, they don't, they, they all think I'm, you know, they remember who I am. They know me. I want to go with you, Jesus. I want to follow you, Jesus. And what's Jesus say? No. <laughs> what? I mean, he's, this is in the, like the, th- the beginning of his ministry. Like you're supposed to be gathering up all the people who want to follow you. You can, right? And he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to come with you. I want to be with you all the time. And Jesus says, no. You stay here and go and tell the people what good things the Lord has done for you. And that's where we leave it. And so Jesus and the disciples, they get in the boat, they leave the other side, and they go back and they're doing their thing. And, and they leave tomb guy behind. And Jesus says, you go and tell. And then the scripture right there in chapter 5 says, he did. He started, he went around telling people what Jesus had done for him. It would be kind of hard for him to not tell that story, right? Because everybody knows who he is, right? Everybody remembers who he was, running around, breaking chains, naked, living in tombs, slashing himself. He's a notable figure. <laughs> it would be hard for him to not tell the story of what Jesus did for him. So they leave. And then back in Mark 7, Jesus starts taking the disciples on this tour of all the places they're not supposed to go, right? So they start out, they go up to Tyre, and there's the Syrophoenician woman, you know, that Scott told us about that Jesus heals. And, and they're going to all the places that good Jews don't go. He's taking them on this tour of all the places your mother told you never to go. And, and they wind up back over here in the Decapolis region. The same region where Tomb Guy was. What happens this time? 4,000 people at a bare minimum. That's usually just counting the men. So there are probably at least two, maybe three times that many people. Thousands of people have showed up to hear Jesus. They didn't ask him to leave. In fact, they stayed with him for three days. Well, how did that happen? I'm going to read between the lines. Feel free to disagree with me. This is not in the text anywhere. I'm just going to say that Tomb Guy told his story. Because there's nothing else that happened that we have recorded between the first time when they said, you need to go. And the next time when thousands of people were hanging out with him for three days because they wanted whatever it was that he had. Only one guy is the difference in that. We'll get to him in a minute. So here they are. They're all on the hillside. They've been there for three days. 
Everybody's a little hungry. What are we going to do with all these people? And the disciples, every once in a while, I feel very comforted in my own faith at reading the questions that the disciples would ask Jesus. <laughs> because it's like, you know, what are we going to do? How, where are we going to get any food? It's like, don't you remember? We've done this once already. Like, don't you remember what? Yeah, no, they don't remember. It's like, ah, it's panic time. I mean, we can't. We got to send these people away. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. Well, how are we going to do that? And Jesus, you can see him kind of giving the, the teenage eye roll going, oh, come on. We've done this already, guys. Are you serious? We did this once. Gather. What do you have? Well, we've got seven loaves of bread. Now, if you've spent any time studying Scripture, you, you know that there's some numbers in Scripture that are pretty significant, right? Uh, the, the number 12 is significant, right? Twelve tribes of Israel. There are 12 disciples. It's a very Seven is also a very significant number in Scripture, right? I mean, it's the number of completeness, they say. You know, it's seven days that the Lord created the heavens and the earth. And, you know, you know six days you rest. Seventh day is the Sabbath. It, the Daniel chapter 9 prophecy of, you know, there would be uh, <clears throat> 700 and, you know, 70 times seven weeks, you know, the seven weeks prophecy. And then Jesus said, you know, the disciples said, hey, how many times? Do we forgive seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. It was not 490 times he was referencing. He was saying, forgive as much as you need to to make it right. That's the whole point. So seven is a significant number. That's what that was for. Um, so we start with seven loaves of bread. Okay. And, and Jesus blesses them and breaks them just like he did before. And they pass them out. They bless the fish. Don't know how many. Just a few, it said. They pass them out. And they collect seven large basketfuls at the end. So, does anybody... This is pop quiz. Anybody remember the first time Jesus did this, how many basketfuls were left over? Twelve. Right. There's seven basketfuls left over this time. Is Jesus just being a little more frugal with the leftovers or what what's the significance here so the first time the audience was whom jews right the audience was jews and the baskets for what it was worth the first time are these small traveling baskets that the jews would take with them for like a day's worth of, of rations or whatever they picked up anytime the jew sees the number 12 i mean even if you're just a nominal surfacey, not real serious Jew, and you see the number 12, immediately you reference 12 tribes of Israel. That's us. We're the people of 12, right? And so they see these 12 baskets of leftovers. They're thinking, God is saying, I have enough for you. We started with nothing, right? Out of scarcity, there is an overabundance sufficient for the 12 tribes. I am here for you. They got that. That was not lost on anybody that was in that crowd that day. So now we're over here with seven baskets. Why do we have seven baskets? Well, again, this is a bit speculation, but it's not a stretch. And if you'll stay with me on this, I think you'll see that Jesus is making a very, very remarkable and strong point. Now, don't, I don't want you to forget that feeling of being in the wrong place because the disciples for the last three days have felt like they were in the wrong place. They don't fit in with these people. They don't fit in with their culture. They don't fit in with their religion. And you'll see why right now. 
Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is right before the Israelites go into the promised land to wipe them out and all that, that God said, here's the land, go take it. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you're entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgasites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. The seven tribes of Canaan. And as the Israelites took over the promised land and conquered those people and drove them out, would you like to guess where they went? Mm-hmm. They went to the east shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's where they landed. That's where the exiles of the seven tribes of Cana resettled themselves when the Israelites drove them out. That's where we are. These are the people that God said, get rid of them. This is your land. Do you see how uncomfortable the disciples are over here? It's the seat of the Roman government. Who's in, you remember the symbol of the Roman army? Remember what there's, it's a boar's head. There's lots of layers to this story. And it's where the seven tribes of Cana, those godless, idol-worshipping heathens were driven to when they were displaced from the Holy Land. The only place that was more uncomfortable for a Jew was Samaria. And there's another story in John chapter 4 that mirrors this one. We'll save that for another day. But they would, the Jews would cross to the east side of the River Jordan and go up on the east side of River Jordan through this Decapolis region to avoid going through Samaria. But that was the only time they would let themselves go into the Decapolis region is to avoid those nasty Samaritans. And here we have seven baskets left over when they're sitting on this hillside. It's, it's almost like Jesus is saying, you know what? Seven tribes of Canaan, you're my people too. I've got enough for you too. It's almost like Jesus doesn't realize that he's on the other side, right? In fact, it's, it, it, it's almost like Jesus didn't even think there is a side, isn't it? And the disciples are having to wrap their heads around this because they don't get what's going on. Because they, they were there. They got the 12 baskets left over. These baskets, by the way, are large baskets. These are baskets you carry on your back. These are not small daily ration baskets. Two different words for basket. This is a large basket. Seven large baskets left over. Seven tribes of Cana, I got enough for you. You're my people. And so here we've got our tomb guy. He's a broken, foreign, worthless, even within the context of his own people, outcast. Don't miss this. From the disciples' perspective, the only person that God could love less then this guy would be, oh, I don't know, maybe a Samaritan woman. Again, we'll save that for another day. And here he is, 
we'll call him the first indigenous missionary. Right? He had an encounter with Jesus that he couldn't get over. That he couldn't explain away. He had to tell his story. He had to tell his story. There wasn't anybody lower on the totem pole than this guy. And because he told that story, thousands of people showed up to hear Jesus the next time. I don't know about you, but I, it's not in the script, but I like to think that he was there for the feeding. See that? I like to think that maybe there was a moment. Maybe he was sitting close to Jesus and the disciples. After all, he knew them, right? They knew each other. And maybe there was a moment when Jesus, this Jewish teacher of the law, looked over at this outcast. And just smiled, nodded his head, maybe a thumbs up. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I don't know about you, I take a lot of comfort in Tomb Guy. That means I get to play too. (laughs) I'm not Jewish, I'm an outcast. On the other side, I have no value based on the understanding that the disciples had of who God values. When I read Tomb Guy, that this broken, rejected outcast with nothing to bring to the table, nothing to offer, for all we know, no education... Jesus said, no, I've got a very, very important role for you to play. There's going to be a lot of people start following me because of you. Because I know he got to play, I know I get to play. And that somehow that means that God loves me too. And I just wonder, I just wonder when the disciples later were sitting there in the upper room, And Jesus broke bread. I wonder if they thought about the miraculous feedings. If they jumped back to both of those, sitting on the hillsides and thousands of people and watching Jesus provide an abundance from scarcity. And I wonder if they understood that Jesus was saying, I am sufficient and I am enough for everybody that would come to me. I think they struggled with it. Remember Peter, it took this whole dream for Peter to think, oh, you mean those people get to get to hear the message too? And then there was this whole ordeal when Paul felt like he was supposed to go take the gospel to the Gentiles, right? And then, oh, we're not so sure about that, Paul. And they had to have this big meeting, you know, all the mind. Paul was not the first one to do that. Jesus was. Jesus was. Understand, too, that when Jesus went over there 
he was stepping right into the middle of the most hotly debated political, religious, and social controversy of his day for his people. He stepped right into the middle of it intentionally. To the Jews in that time, remember the question Jesus got asked over and over again, are you going to restore the kingdom? And what they meant was, are you kicking out the Romans and we get to be our own people again? That's what they meant. The Roman government was an anathema to the Jews. And so here he is going, he's walking right into the middle of this political controversy, the hottest political controversy of the day. And he walks right into the middle of it, figuratively and literally. It was right in the middle of the hottest contested religious argument of the day, right? Those people are godless. They worship idols, blah, 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 blah. He steps right into the middle of it. And then he he redefines what they understood about it. Because he didn't take a side as anybody would have understood it. He just said, no, I am the side. (laughs) I am the side. I am how you draw your line if you want to draw a line. If you're following me, you're on my side. If you're not following me, Pharisees, guess what? You're on the other side. And my side's for everybody. And I'm enough for everybody. I have enough. So as I think about, again, that uncomfortable feeling of being out of place. I know for me, for me when I was in Haiti, what was remarkable, I mean, it's such a, such a unique, remarkable place, but you could see on people's faces, and this is not an exaggeration, I'm not using poetic language. You could see on people's faces who knew Jesus and who didn't. It was that obvious. Spiritual warfare in Haiti is not subtle. It is a bare-knuckle brawl. And I can give you all kinds of stories, but it is, it is not subtle. And I saw people in the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere that unless you've been to that kind of poverty, you do not understand that kind of poverty. I don't mean Mexico border town poverty. That is nothing compared to what I saw in Haiti. And I saw people with joy in their hearts. And I saw people with smiles on their face. And I saw people who were happy and rejoicing in the Lord and worshiping God with all the thanks and praise that we worship God with. And I'm going to tell you something. It challenged my very understanding of God in my little Americanized version of my faith. Because I'm not sure if I were to be in their position that I'd be raising my hands saying, thank you, Jesus. Honestly. Really challenged me. It was the power of the gospel. Hope in the midst of suffering. Joy in the midst of scarcity. And Jesus the whole time is saying, I'm enough. 
I'm enough for the Haitians. I'm enough for you. I'm enough for everybody. I am enough. I'm all you need. And I'm the only thing that matters. I'm the only thing that makes any difference. It's me. So as we look at some of these religious and political controversies that uh, are that seem so prescient in our day, they're no less prescient than the religious and political controversies that were going on at this time. I would encourage us to draw the line with Jesus. And to look at how Jesus stepped into the middle of that kind of controversy. And to look at how Jesus uh, evaluated people, if I can use that term. It's challenging for me. I don't know about you. And I think part of it is being comfortable being uncomfortable. Right? I don't think the disciples ever got over that. Peter, I'm pretty sure, never did. But that was Jesus. This side is my side. This side is not the other side. Every side is my side. I'm enough for everybody. I am what matters. It's me, said Jesus. Yeah, and then there's the the woman at the well. We'll get to that maybe someday. Jesus, we thank you that you did not pull any punches while you were here. And thank you that you walked right into the middle of real life. You didn't uh, give some religious, esoteric answer to situations of the day that when you were here on earth, but you walked right into the middle of it and redefined um, where the boundaries were, redefined where the lines were. Jesus, give us the, the ability to, to see the world with your eyes. To have the compassion that you showed to those whom you would have compassion on. Lord, may the stuff that, that got you fired up get us fired up. And may the stuff that broke your heart break our heart. Help us to see the world through your eyes, Jesus. And thanks for letting us play. In Jesus' name, amen.